0: Hello and welcome to the Journey Church Podcast, streaming live from Queens, New York. We're really glad that you decided to join us today. Whether you're a member, attend regularly, or this is your first time with us, we want to let you know we appreciate you. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Journey Online, and let me just say happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there who are watching. I want you to know, moms, we are grateful for you, we honor you, and we celebrate your influence and impact over our lives. And so today is your day. In fact, in the chat, let's give it up. Praise hands or something. For all the moms out there, happy Mother's Day. Now, my name is Mike and I'm the lead pastor here and and I'm grateful for you to be joining in with us today. And I wanna encourage you, I know it's Mother's Day, but after the service, join us via Zoom in our community groups. It's been a great time for us to connect with each other, to deepen some of the words that we hear in the message. And the best part about it is it's only for 15 to 20 minutes long. So the hosts, they're going to put a link in the chat for you to join. I would love to see you there at our Zoom group. Now today, we're kicking off a brand new teaching series called Bless This Mess, How to Survive Parenting in the 21st Century. Now let's face it, this pandemic has changed a lot of our lives, but none more so than the area of parenting and what it means to raise a healthy family and so over the next four weeks we're going to talk about the family how we together can build a God-honoring home but I love the title of this series bless this mess because let's face it sometimes families parenting can feel like a mess. I remember the time that Blake was born, 10 years ago, when Danielle let me know that her water broke, and so we rushed to the hospital. Oh my goodness, this is it. This is the moment we've been waiting for. We pack all of her stuff, rush her to the hospital. I forgot to pack my stuff, and so we're just kinda sitting there, waiting for Blake to come, and we waited, and we waited, and we waited. The entire labor process took 18 hours for Blake to finally arrive. And I'll never forget, Blake finally arrived, and we were so excited to meet him. And then finally, it was the day to drive him home. Now, you never forget when your firstborn is born because you are kind of like terrified of all outside circumstances. If you know anything about me and my driving capabilities, you know that I like to kind of push the buttons a little bit or the limits when it comes to driving the speed limit. Anybody with me? That speed limit is not really meant to be a limit. It's meant to be a gauge of how fast we're supposed to be going. Am, Am I right? Well, when I'm driving home from the hospital with Blake in the car for the first time, I'm telling you, I was going 20 miles an hour. I went all the back roads, no highways home. I was terrified that I would get into an accident and our son wouldn't make it home. Then we finally get home and the dog greets us and he's smiling and he's happy. And I notice on his side, he's got a tick that was inside him. And so now I drop off Blake and Danielle. Now I got to rush to the vet and then I got to be with the vet for about two hours. Finally get home. Blake is up and he's cranky. And I'll never forget it. The first night, the first morning that we were home, I woke up, looked at my watch, and it said 1130 in the morning. And I did a quick facepalm of, oh my goodness, what is this life that we have now? And I remember thinking, is this what it's always going to be like? Well, fast forward to four years ago, almost five years ago now, when Landon was born. And when Danielle told me, you know, I think it's time and I think we're going to be in labor. Well, we remembered back to Blake. You know, Blake took 17 hours to enter the world. And so we kind of took our time. We're home. We're talking to Danielle's mom. I'm online paying all the bills and doing all the stuff. We're calling all of our families. And then we get to the hospital and Landon is ready. Blake took 17 hours to be born. Landon took 45 minutes. (laughs) It was nuts, right? And so, bless this mess. How do we survive parenting in the 21st century? Now, as we begin, for for those of you who are watching, I want you to give me some participation in the chat, all right? Let me know that you're with me, but here, here it goes, all right? I want to ask a question. How many of you deeply would love to have your homes and your families to be blessed? How many of you would say, that's my prayer, that's my hope. I want our family, our children to grow up and to be blessed. Give me a thumbs up in the chat, raise your hand, come on, give me, give me some love in the chat. Let me know that you're watching with me. Now, I know some of you, you're not commenting in the chat, and so I got to assume that if you're not commenting, then you, you don't want your family to be blessed. Am I right? No, right? Of course we all do. We all would love to see our homes and our families blessed. But, when you look at most families today, I'm willing to bet that the first thing that comes to your mind is not the word blessed, right? I mean, when we look at so many families today, rather than say, wow, that family is blessed, more often we say, uh, their family's struggling, right? Or, I heard their marriage is on the rocks. Or, raising kids is more difficult than we thought. Or, financially, we're living paycheck to paycheck, right? Now, there's a lot of things that go into it, but I believe there's more pressures today than ever before when it comes to raising your family. I mean, even for you right now, you probably went through hell just to sit and watch this service. Maybe for you, you're locked in the bathroom in your apartment because your kids are going buck wild in the living room and you can't take it anymore. So you need some peace and quiet and you got your little phone out and you're watching this in the bathroom, just struggling as the kids are going crazy, right? And and here's the thing that makes it even more tougher, right? There's always that Perfect Instagram parent, right? Where everything is perfect and just right, right? Her kids come down the stairs and they're quoting scripture, right? And the kids, they always eat healthy and organic food that comes from Trader Joe's because, right, all organic food comes from Trader Joe's, right? And what happens if we're not careful is we could be so busy looking at everyone else's family, competing with our own family. And we're trying to display or put off this image that isn't real or honestly just isn't possible. I mean, raising a family in this century is really messy. Now, thankfully, we don't have to go at this alone. I mean, thankfully, we've got God's Word available to us to guide us and help us when we feel at the end of our rope. And so... Today, what I want us to do, if you click in the notes tab, I want us to look at the words of Jesus here. Now, it might be a little bit weird, right, reading the words of Jesus when it comes to family, because you're like, Jesus didn't have any kids, right, or Jesus wasn't married that we know of, right? And so, what does Jesus really have to say about the family? But I want to point your attention to the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' famous discussion, his most famous teaching to his followers, and he starts out the sermon by teaching what we would call the Beatitudes. He would start off with blessed are, and he would say certain things and and give us a a guideline of what it means to have a blessed life. And so how does this work for our families? Well, let's look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 in your notes. Here's what he says. He says, blessed are those who what? Who hunger and thirst for righteousness... For they will be filled. Now we read this verse, and honestly, we don't need to translate it in its original Greek to understand this. I mean, Jesus is pretty clear here, right? He says, When you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you're going to be filled. When we long and we go after righteousness with our own lives, we will be filled spiritually. We will be filled emotionally and mentally and as a family. Now, when we look at so many homes today, and maybe you feel this way, so many homes that they're running on empty rather than full, right? They're not filled with what matters most, but they're spending their lives searching and striving for anything that's going to bring them meaning. Now, why is that? Well, I think it's because we're filling our lives with things that just don't matter, we're not as blessed as we could be as how Jesus talked about because we're not hungering and thirsting for righteousness or right living or doing the right thing in the right way to please God and, and by the way that we live. And so here's a question that I want to ask you today. And I want to dare you for a moment to be 100%, right? to be honest and transparent with yourself. All right, Here's the question. In your home, what is it that you're hungering for? I mean, in your life, at your work, when you're with your friends, what do you find yourself pursuing? What is it that matters most to you? Now, now, some of you listening right now, instantly, you're like, well, pastor, I'm here to live for God. Amen, brother, right? Now, that's a good Sunday school answer, but my, my pushback is, is that really your answer. Like, is that really the way that you model your life right now? I mean, if we were to ask your kids privately, would they say the same thing? Mom and dad, they live for God. Or would they say something entirely different? To kind of help simplify this because this is a big question. Let's make it a little bit easier, all right? I want you to think back to this past week. All right, if everything that went on this past week, the past seven days, what was it that you found yourself pursuing? What was it that you found yourself hungering for? Now, if we're honest, some of us we would have to say things like, well, you know, to be honest, we're just trying to catch our breath and relax, right? Now, there's nothing wrong with that. Or, or some of you would say, you know, well, as a family, we just want to have a good time. And so we're going to pursue happiness and comfort. Or we work hard for the week so that we could do whatever we want on the weekend. Now, Again, there's nothing wrong with that, but let's just be honest and call it what it is. Because some would say, you know what, we find ourselves hungering for approval from others. And so we want to be liked. And so as a family, we're all about image management, right? Look at our family from the outside. Look at the way we dress. Look at our apartment. Look at the car that we drive. Look at the way that we walk into church. Don't we look like that Christian family, right? And you might be picture perfect on the outside, but nobody knows that you were cursing and yelling in the apartment 10 minutes ago, right? But for some, the very thing that you pursue might be the moment, Right? The moment, whatever it is that you're pursuing, whatever the moment means for you. Maybe for you, the moment means more money. Maybe the moment means getting a house out in the suburbs. Maybe the moment means that your elementary kid is the student of the year or that your kid is going to be a star athlete. And so you're the soccer parents and you shuttle them for league to league. As a family, what is it that you find yourself hungering and thirsting for? Now, if you're really honest Over the last seven days, maybe you've been pursuing something or things above God. And you would say, you know what, Pastor, to be honest, I find myself not hungering and thirsting after righteousness. So what do we do when we realize that we're hungering after the wrong things? What do we do when we have an appetite for the things that don't satisfy and the things that aren't best for our lives? How do we go about changing this? Well, in your notes, I want to give you a few tips that that I've seen work, not just in our family, but also from serving in ministry the past 16 years and, and watching families interact with each other. And so I want to give you some tips. But first, I want to begin with what I can guarantee does not work. All right. So what does not work when it comes to raising a family? First thing in your notes that you're going to see that doesn't work is legalistic Christianity. Legalistic Christianity. Now what is legalistic Christianity? Well, that's when we reduce Christianity in our homes to a bunch of do's and don'ts. Cans and can'ts, shoulds and shouldn'ts. Don't do this, don't do that, right? Do this and it's a rule. And if you're a good Christian, you're always going to get it. Right, and and your goal as a family is whatever you do, kids, don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't run with kids who do, right? Don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, and don't run with kids that do for the glory of God. That's what's going to make you a good Christian. In other words, it sums it all down to rules. Now, the problem with this is rules without relationship will lead to rebellion. Legalistic Christianity might work in the moment, But it's never going to work in the long run. So legalistic Christianity doesn't work. The second thing that I can guarantee that doesn't work is lukewarm Christianity. Lukewarm Christianity. Well, what is this? Well, it's when we believe in God, but we live as if he doesn't exist. We're Christian by name only, but we have no passion for things that bring glory to God. Now, you might be sitting here today watching this, and you might say, well, Pastor, how do I know if I've got a lukewarm Christian home? And the answer is, I can't tell you specifically, because I believe it's different for each family. But here's a few indicators that that I think might determine if we are lukewarm. Let me give you a few examples. If you can't tell the last time that you prayed together as a family, it might be a sign that you're lukewarm. And I got to clarify this, right? By praying together, I don't mean like sitting at the dinner table and saying, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for this grub, amen, let's eat. I'm not talking about that, right? I'm talking about coming together as a family, praying and believing God for a miracle. Maybe it's praying for someone that doesn't know Christ or asking God to direct your family or for God to do something big in your lives. If you can't name the last time that you've done this as a family, chances are, you might be allowing your family to become lukewarm. Here's another example. If you never say to your family, well, hey, hey guys, t- today in my Bible, God really spoke to me about this verse and I want to share it with you. Or, you know, hey, I was at the gym and I got to share my faith with this person and it was amazing. Or, you know, I was praying for something and look at what God did. If I'm never doing that with my family, for me, that might be an indicator that I'm becoming lukewarm. Now, Jesus has strong words about this topic. In fact, in Revelation chapter 3, he tells us, he says, I would rather you be hot or cold than lukewarm. And what does he say? He says, if you're lukewarm, what does Jesus do? He, he, He hurls. It makes him that sick that he wants to spit you out. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be Filled. So if legalistic Christianity and lukewarm Christianity doesn't work, what does work? Here's what I want you to grasp, all right? In your notes, here's what I believe that we are not just a Christian family, we are a Christ centered home, right? We are not just a Christian family, but we are a Christ centered home. Somebody put amen in the chats for that. In fact, why don't you say this? This is Mother's Day. This is Family Day. Let's say this out loud together, right? We are not just a Christian family. We are a Christ-centered home. Now, unfortunately, here in America, you can call yourself a Christian family, and it doesn't mean much, because about 80% of our country claims to be Christians, right? But in turn, there are not as many Christ-centered homes. And there's a big difference between calling yourself a Christian and having a Christ-centered home. The scripture doesn't say, Blessed are those who believe in Christ when they feel like it or when it's easy and convenient. No, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, if you're in your notes, I love the way that David explains this. He gives us this imagery In Psalm chapter 63, verse 1, look at how he says and describes hungering and thirsting for righteousness. In your notes, he says, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My my whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Now, do you see that? Just one verse. But David really captures what it means to have a Christ-centered life. It's not just the hey, I believe in you when it's easy. Hey, God, I just kind of believe in you or call out to you whenever I need you. But no, it's every moment, every day, every bit of my being longs for you. Because I'm not just a, Christ, uh, I'm not just a Christian family, but we are a Christ-centered home. And so in your notes, I had a little bit of fun with this, and I kind of translated, played around with this verse toward the family. And I want to show how this would sound if we looked at this through our families. And so if we made an edited version, here's how it would look. It it would say this. It would say, you, God, are our God. Earnestly, we seek you. We thirst for you. Our whole family longs for you. Now, doesn't that sound better? Now, imagine sometimes the silly things that we put in place of God. Maybe that verse wouldn't mean that for us, but instead it would look like this. Oh, Instagram, you are my God. I long for more followers in a dry and weary land. Now, it sounds stupid, doesn't it? Right, or here's another one. Oh, championship of the eight and under soccer league. You are my God. I long for that trophy for my son. (laughs) It seems silly, right? Right. Or, oh, new car, my tush longs for leather seats and butt warmers in the winter. You are my master. It's it's almost silly and comical, but that's the way so many of us live our lives. We put other things in place of God. And because we're hungering and thirsting for other things, we come up empty. A lot of times we wonder why. Jesus was clear. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who hunger and thirst for Him. So how do you do it, right? So, Pastor, I understand this. I got to be filled. I got to hunger after righteousness, right? How do I do this? Well, how to transform from being a Christian family to raising up a God-centered home. I want to give you three simple ways that we can make a hunger and a thirst for God. Maybe you're sitting here and you say, well, I don't even know where to start. Let me give you some quick tips, all right? Number one, the first thing you could do is involve God in your daily conversations. Involve God in your daily conversations. The first thing you're going to do is you're going to find ways each and every day to involve the work of God in your life in daily conversations with your family. Now, to be honest, in the beginning, it might feel a little awkward, right? It might be a little bit weird, but overall, it's really simple. Don't overthink this. For example, you might be walking your kids' To school. And you might be walking outside and you might notice a beautiful sunrise with just picturesque clouds and pink sky, or maybe you notice beautiful flowers along the way as you're walking. And usually you would say, Wow, look at that, or look at that cool bird over there. But instead, you involve God in the conversation and you say, Look at that. Look at that beautiful thing that God has created. Isn't it amazing? That every morning we don't have to wake up worrying whether or not the sun is going to rise. God always brings this for us. You see, this is a way that we involve God as part of our conversation. Now, you could also do this in your marriage. right? When faced with a big family decision, instead of looking around saying, I don't know what to do, let's list the pros and the cons, what should we do? Instead, you're going to pray about it and you're going to say, what does God want us to do? And so in your marriage, you're also reminding yourself that you're not just a Christian family, but that you are a Christ-centered home. You know, I remember growing up as a kid, and every summer, we had the opportunity to stay with my grandparents for about one to two weeks. And now that I have kids of my own, I know why. You know, our parents just wanted to get us out of the house. (laughs) But I always remember hanging out with My grandparents and we would play baseball in the backyard or we would help them with things around the house and it was just a fun summer each and every time. But but one of the things that matters most to me now as I look back is my grandmother would always tell us stories of the faithfulness of God. For example, she would tell us stories of when my great-grandmother, her mother, was simply walking by a street and heard music from a church nearby wondered what it was, and she walked into that church and gave her life to Christ that day. She was the beginning of the family tree of giving our lives to Christ. And she would often tell stories of how God was faithful to our uncle, uh, to my mom, and, and how God had worked throughout their lives. And she would tell story after story after story. And as a kid, it felt sweet, right, hearing your grandmother tell these stories. But now that I'm older, I remember the mark, the importance of how God worked in our lives. It, a simple daily conversation helps open up the heart to be receptive to the things of God. If you find your kids being closed off to church and, and not really reading the Word on their own or not really listening to Christian music, try this, involving God in your everyday conversations. But that's not all. Let me give you step number two. Number two in your notes. How do I do this? How do I hunger and thirst after Christ? Number two, make church non-negotiable. I'm going to make church non-negotiable. You make the priority of the worship of your God something that isn't to be negotiated, right? And you think about this. Every week, we have the opportunity to seek the God Of the universe, the the one who created all of creation, the one who is not so big that he can't respond to us, but he's so small that he cares about even the numbers of hair on our head. God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us, and we have the opportunity in church to seek him and let him speak into our lives. And so you're going to say as a family, we are going to go to church, period. Now, why is this so important? Well, because if you're not clear on your priorities and what is most important to you, your kids are going to get confused, right? If you want your kids to know and genuinely experience the love and power of God in their lives, but you don't give them platforms or opportunities to experience God on their own, they're never going to experience God. But if you model for them that church attendance is sporadic, right? Like I'm only going to go to church on Easter or Christmas or Christmas or Mother's Day, don't be surprised when they get older and they don't want to go to church. right? If you teach them that baseball or dance class on Sundays is more important than time with God, or time at the beach or the lake house is more important, don't be upset when they don't prioritize their relationship with God. So mom and dad, you've got to lead the way on this one. Make church non-negotiable. Number three in your notes. Show how seeking and serving God is fun. Show them how seeking and serving God is fun. You know, I remember a few years ago, uh, I had to lead a uh, servant evangelism project for our church. And many of you guys know what servant evangelism is, but what it is or what we used to do is we would go at key subway stops and we would hand out granola bars and invite cards to our church for about an hour, two hours and interact with people, pray with them if they needed that. And invite them to church and so uh, on this one particular day i had blake with me and in the beginning i was like blake you got to come with me we're going to do this and he was kind of mopey like oh i don't want to go i don't want to do this how long is it going to be and he would ask all these questions but it was amazing when blake got to be there and the first card he hands out someone takes it his eyes light up and he just got alive and i got to be honest, I was standing right next to him, right? So I'm handing him out. Blake is handing him out. Nobody's taking him from me because I look scary, right? And Blake is this young, harmless kid. So everyone, a crowd, is around Blake. And I'll never forget right afterwards, Blake just said, man, Dad, this was so much fun. Now, sometimes we look at serving God, seeking after Him as being this dry, sterile, and boring thing. And if we approach it that way, Don't be surprised if our kids do that as well. You've got to go outside the box a little bit. Show them how our walk with God is more than just about ourselves, that we can serve others and be the hands and feet of Jesus. Let them see on their own how much impact Christ could have over someone's life. So as we look at these things, there are three simple things to lead our family to the things of God. I mean, can you show your family that it's a blessing to serve God? I mean, of course, right? Can you make church a priority? Absolutely. Can you involve God in your everyday conversations? No doubt. And see, I love what Joshua here says at the end of his life. He, he has the chance to bring the entire nation of Israel together. In his parting words, he talks about the family. Chapter 24, verse 15, he says, Then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. You see, today you have the same choice. Choose this today. Choose today that you're going to be a Christ-centered home. It's not about being a Christian family. It's about putting Christ at the center of our homes. Don't worry about the past, about what you could have done or should have done or how you're going to live different. No, choose today to begin again because it's never too late to become what God has called you to be. Let's shift away from being a Christian family and let's put Christ at the center of our homes. Amen. Let's take a moment. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this moment, this opportunity to remind ourselves that it's never too late to become all that you've called us to be. And As I look back at my own life when it comes to parenting my kids, I know that there are Plenty of mistakes that I've made, plenty of choices that, that, that I've made that I wish I could go back and change. But, but God, we're not able to do that, but we can choose today with our present how to affect and change our future. And so God, in order to have a Christ-centered home, it starts with Christ-centered individuals. And so we take a moment right now and surrender our lives before you. Help us to realize and recognize the greatness, the goodness of who you are in all you've done for our lives, God. Help us to surrender and sacrifice to you today. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.